Welcome to episode 184 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we review game two of the State of Origin series and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 184 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I am your co-host, Dr. T, and joining me is Tish. Tish, it's been a good week this week for New South Wales, hasn't it? Oh, yes, it has been, and it's been a great week for me. I'm happy as Freddie. Um, You know, I I backed this team all the way, never had any doubts. Uh, what a tremendous group of blokes. What a tremendous group of players. And, uh, you know, honesty, integrity. <laughs> um, I just thought that, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, you know, and uh, unlike some other New South Wales supporters who have just uh, completely bagged out the team last, last week, as I told everybody, <laughs> have faith in this team. Have faith in Freddie. He is the saviour of New South Wales. And hey, look, they proved me right once again, Dr. T's. <laughs> So. <laughs> that's right. You of little faith. We told yeah. you so. Yeah, we told right. you that they would come back and they didn't need to – they did not need to sack Cleary. We told you so last time, yeah. didn't we? Look, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> Pick anybody in the centres. It's fine. It's fine. That's like, right. We said we could do it. We we didn't say – we said they were not liability in the centres. And, uh, and, you know, look, we overcame all the odds, didn't we? That's I mean, right, right. the home ground advantage, you know, <laughs> the uh, look, all look, there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, that we're talking about the Blues winning. Uh, look, I don't even know what the score was, it was that good. It was like 55 mm. nil, I think. I don't know, it, it felt like an absolute smashing. Do, do we have what's the latest on the final score? Do we know what the final score was? <laughs> do you yeah. remember? I don't remember. It was like well, look, uh, 32 uh, to something. I don't know. 32. Yeah, thirty-two. I want to say thirty-four ten. No, that that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thirty-four ten. Now, what was that? What was, uh, now? This is going to be a bit of because uh, I haven't actually thought about this, but um, it's a similar scoreline to what game two last year was, right? Because um, that was also, I think, New South Wales got to um, thirty points in uh, twenty nineteen as well. So uh, sit tight there, Tish. I am looking up. Um, I'm looking up the the scores. Uh, here we go. Hang on. Good, where's Where's my good old friend Wikipedia when I need him? Here we go. So, oh no, oh. that doesn't that doesn't help. <laughs> Wikipedia, yeah. I'm disappointed. I can't get the scores easily. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. You think? Uh... It's, it's oh, telling wow. me that we won two one the series last year. That's okay. good, that's I good to know. I believe it was thirty eight to six. Um, oh, so, you're right. Yes, yes. It was a flogging last time as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 24 point deficit this year and a 32 point deficit last year. So, um, and that is after how the, the you know, Queensland winning the first game as well. So, yeah, very, very interesting how the pattern is this, you know, it's 
fairly similar to what we had last year. It's kind of amazing in a way. So, uh, well, while, while you while you're talking about that, I mean, let me just compare. It's not just that. Actually, are we are we thinking that this is a simulation, Tish? That 2020 with the pandemic and things that maybe we're living in a simulation because here is something that will interest you. Last year, the man of the match in game one was Dane Gagai. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon he was probably Queensland's best player game one. in game one this year as well. Yeah. Except they were in Brisbane last time, so he was it was a home ground advantage. Uh, game two was in Perth last year. And that's where we won. You're right, thirty-eight to six. But we had Tommy Turbo who scored three three tries. Uh, obviously, a few other different players as well. But look, and then the next game, the last game, the decider was in Sydney, twenty-six twenty. And you'll remember that we scored that at last minute, last ten seconds try mm. from uh, by, by James Sedesco to win that. Basically, even though we were, we, it was equal. I think points. Yeah, uh, that won us the game at the at the death. So, t- are we going to see a repeat? And obviously, the man of the match was James Tedesco, who was close to man of the match in in uh, game two uh, this year. Are we going to see a repeat? Well, we'll talk about that later. But I think well, let's launch into our uh, set of six because we're going to talk about game two in detail. So, how about we do that, Tish? We launch into the tackles. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Tackle number one, the match review. So, as Tish mentioned, we uh, we had a thirty-four to ten win to New South Wales. Uh, that basically, <laughs> it was. Uh, I think it's fair to say that they they kind of dominated from uh, from the very beginning. Uh, Mm. What were your impressions? Let me just start with the the general general impressions of this game compared to the last game, and then we'll do a bit of a deep dive. So, comparison, game one to game two, uh, what were the things that stood out for you in terms of uh, the the play? You know, the, who dominated, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, look, I think in in my opinion, I think it was a it was a very uh, obviously it was clearly a. A dominating performance from New South Wales. Look, right from the start to the finish, it seemed more like um, it seemed more closer to what we've seen in the past when it comes to state of origin. Right, you know, it was certainly, you know, it certainly felt like a state of origin game. You had the, you know, it was in, you know, New South Wales's home turf, um, you know, and the sort of. So I think it was great, and um, I'll be honest, I really uh, enjoyed the Welcome to Country, um, which was done uh, this. I know they're doing it sort of every. Um, uh, before every game now, which which is obviously awesome. Yeah. Um, but they had um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but um, he was also a war veteran. Obviously, um, this was on Remembrance Day. Um, and then they did the last post. Uh, sorry, is it the last? So the, um, but they did the um, yeah, they did the mm, ceremony yeah, true. for um, you know, for Remembrance Day. Um, you know, as they were, uh, you know, as the, uh, you know, as they were, and you know, Co- Peter Cosgrave also had a. An amazing um, sort of uh, yeah. He also did that really, really well, and uh, you know I thought it was it was actually getting quite emotional, and then you know with the whole anthem and everything. So I really liked it, like that. Um, as somebody pointed out to me, it was interesting. You know that you know on uh, I believe it's a poppy. Uh, you know I'm not 100 percent about. It, I think it's a yeah. poppy flower that normally. Yeah, and Queensland right. actually had that on their jersey, and uh, that's right. We were, I was actually quite surprised that New South Wales didn't have something there as well. 
Um, mm. We'll so look that into that. I'm, I'm sure they would have, but yeah, we'll look into that. That's a, that is a bit unusual because usually the NRL kind of, uh, you know, they they think about these things quite quite clearly. So I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. It is a bit unusual. You're right. Exactly, exactly. So I thought the atmosphere was was fantastic, and you know the game started off, and um, you know Queensland actually came up with the first points, um, and it was the familiar, uh, you know, uh, I think there was a defensive um, misread on Jack Whiten in the centres, which caused the overlap, and then Xavier Coates with an amazing, and an amazing leap uh, mm. try. Um, you know, I think he stole that from uh, Twinkle Toes. Um, Blake oh, Ferguson. Blake Ferguson. <laughs> it wasn't just a. It was a. It was a. Uh, what do we call it? It was a somersault try. I mean, really, he. Yeah. Uh, it was a commando role, you know, fitting for the uh, the occasion, I think, as well. But exactly. it was unbelievable. It was. Uh, I honestly didn't think he got it down uh, until I saw the replay, and yeah. to be honest, it was quite close because the ball kind of scraped the the uh, the corner post, which. Technically, if you touch it, it's touching goal, and then that means that would have invalidated the try. But they gave it anyway because I, I guess mm. it was kind of it was line ball. It was pretty close, so I think it deserved a try regardless. And it was, yeah. I mean, what a great way to start <laughs> start the second state of origin. And unfortunately, it kind of made it look like you know, new, it was ho hum. You know, same old, same old for New South Wales continuation of the terrible play from last time. Um, mm. But that wasn't to be because I think that was just a bit of a, a glitch because they they certainly yep. turned it on and they put on three tries, two tries within a few minutes. Cody Walker put on, well, scored the first one and then put on the second one to James Tedesco, and and basically uh, they went into and then like another a final try to Josh Adokar in, in the thirty seventh minute means that they went to the halftime sheds uh, at eighteen points to four, which was great. And I guess it ended up being an unassailable lead because a couple of minutes after halftime, Jack Whiten scored a pretty good solo effort. Um, almost dropped it. If you looked at the replay, he almost did. <laughs> he almost did drop it because I think Xavier Coates put his hand on it and was about to rip it out. And it mm-hmm. kind of looked like, he, you know, had it had it been just like a, a few centimetres more, he probably would have lost, lost control of the ball because his hand, his fingers were kind of rolling off it. Uh, and only his forearm was on the ball. But, you know, a try is a try. He had downward pressure. And then a few minutes later, about 10 minutes later, Daniel Tupu scored a great try as well. And, uh, and yeah, and then it was uh, it was a last kind of consolation try, I guess, uh, to Josh Papali. A good one, nonetheless, but still it was way too late at this point. The Blues had already had it in the bag. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, they dominated. Uh, there's no question about it. This It was a total opposite. It was a reversal of what happened in game one. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And with the Papali try, I think one thing that was really important for New South Wales was that um, after he'd scored, I think it was probably in the next play, um, the next set of six. Yeah, it was only, it was only two minutes later where Adekar scored his second uh, honour. Oh, He's... Oh, that's First right. He did. You're right. No, no, he scored a second try after that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was um, that was really important because you know with Papali, you know we've seen um, we've seen him score tries in crucial moments, and you know uh, with with about a minute to go now, getting um, I think that the the lead would have gone to around about eighteen. So it was that was still sort of 
you know, somewhat, yeah, it kind of put him a little, give him a, gave him a glimmer of hope, but then with that Adokar, and look, I think this is the thing about the, the Fox, you know, he, he's kind of a, he's a very interesting type of player out there sometimes, you kind of think, what is he doing, and so, some of the plays he comes up with is a little, uh, it's a real, you know, it's, it's kind of unusual, but he had a great game and, uh, you know, he, he sort of, uh, you know, clearly kicked it early a couple of times and then, uh, you know, uh, you could see, you know, it was for Adokar to sort of pin them down into the opposition. Um, and I thought he did an amazing job. But then on the other side of things, I think uh, Tupa was an unsung hero as well. Like, um, I just remember a, quite a number of really great runs that he had. Um, taking the ball out, so I think pretty much across the park, the entire the entire New South Wales squad, squad um, you know, they they all chipped in, they all um, you know contributed, and I think I think everybody had a, had a pretty good game. I, can't, I really can't recall anybody from New South Wales having a bad game. Um, one thing that I probably have to, you know, the other thing that I that I kind of noticed is that um, at just about most of the tries that New South Wales scored, Cody Walker was in there, so. Um, you know, he was either sort of past, you know, getting the ball out to the right people to set up the play, or he was setting up the the play to score the try as well. So it was interesting. You know, Cleary, I think, got them into the right positions, and I think um, Cody Walker was the player that sort of helped New South Wales take advantage of those, you know, of, of that field posi- position. So that was fantastic. And on the other end, I've got to say, uh, Queensland. You know, uh, you know they hate they lost. Um, they lost their uh, Munster. You know, AJ, Munster. Yep. Well, they lost uh, Munster, but I was going to say that before. Before uh, you know, in game one, they had AJ Brimson. They actually lost him for this game, and then Valentine Holmes came back. I don't know if he had that uh, fullback. Um, I don't know if he really had that great of a performance, but they also lost Munster early as well. And then um, you know, just losing a key player like that, they kind of really didn't show much else and. Uh, as soon as New South Wales got the ascendancy, they they really had no comeback, and uh, it is it does set up a, a good a decider, and uh, it's it's really going to be interesting how that one plays out. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought New South Wales, yeah, pretty much from well, when did it? Yeah, from the sixty third minute, I'd say. Well, yeah, sorry, from the eighth minute because that's uh that's when uh, Xavier scored. But after that, they were all good. It was all New South Wales from uh, from. Yeah, that, so Queensland had seven good minutes, and that was about. <laughs> <laughs> they probably had a few more than that, but yeah, it, it was. Uh, look, chalk and cheese performance compared to game one, and there's a few reasons for that. So let's just kind of dive into it. But one of the comparisons I like to make is man of the match in game one was Daily Cherry Evans. Man of the match in game two was Nathan Cleary. In mm-hmm. both cases, I think you would say that they were ably supported by their number six. Munster in the case of Queensland, who obviously went missing because of a head injury. Um, and, and you know, Cody Walker, who uh, came on off the bench last time, but uh, there was obviously a lot of talk of change after game one. The Keary and Cleary combination wasn't going to work. And we talk about this all the time, that if you have someone who's more of an organiser and that kind of thing, you do need someone... Who, who has that X factor, and that's kind of what Cody Walker brought. He opened up both sides of the field. I mean, he, the backs were doing what the backs can do well because he and Nathan Cleary took advantage of what the forwards were doing, which just didn't happen at all in game one. And the other thing is, so it, it is a team sport after all, so you can't just sort of say, well, it's the, half, the halves that do everything. 
and they needed to take advantage of what the the platform that the forwards uh, put on and the forwards didn't do that last time and so the thing to remember while everyone will talk about Cleary and Walker and Josh Adokar I think the unsung heroes in the New South Wales lineup were the hard-working forwards who uh, who got the yardage up the middle and basically dominated uh, where where that that simply wasn't the case uh, last time around. So yeah. so I really, think Crichton had a had a great game. He was really aggressive and uh, absolutely, I, yeah. And now I, I I just share when you said that I, I I'm starting to think of Frizzell's um, tackle on Haas really close to the line. Um, like a try saver, basically. Um, you know, so, so there's some, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think the platform was set by the forwards. And, uh, you know, the other thing that was uh, kind of uh, interesting, I don't know if you picked this up, uh, Dr. T or not, but um, how uh, how uh, related does Angus Crichton and Clint Gutherson look? Um, there were a couple of times I couldn't tell which one was which. It's kind of amazing. So I, I'd have to kind of agree with that. Except Crichton's got like he's a bit like is uh, a bit bulked up compared bulked to, up. <laughs> but that but you're right the hair's very similar, um, and look look there's so so many things that the the Blues did right and uh, you know Cleary obviously will get the accolades because he did do a few things which he didn't do he hasn't done well for a long time I must say. Uh, especially if you look at his performance in the grand final as well, in the NRL grand final. He took the line on where – so he was not timid, put it that way. He used his speed. He's a very quick halfback, and he needed to use his speed. And you, what you'll see is some examples of, you know, basically taking the line on and, and stepping and making some good yards in the middle. Um, he hasn't done that for a long, long time. And that's, I mean, I don't know if it's his style to not yeah. take the line on, but, you know, I just sort of feel like I, I think that we could have seen a different result in the grand final had he played that sort of a game. Um, obviously, you know, you do rely on the forwards, etc., but you also need the half the halves uh, to actually do their job as well. And I think this is a case of they not only did their job, but they did it very well. His kicking game was pretty good as well. I think some people were talking about it being, you know, pretty flawless and spot on. I think that was uh, probably an exaggeration. He still did a couple of those midfield Mitchell Pierce type bombs to nobody. Um, but he then, he then changed it up a bit. So, look, again, and the reason why I say that is because it, it, the fact that we were dominant masked the fact that he was still doing those things. I don't know whether that is a tactic that, that Freddie's got him doing. It doesn't make any sense to me because it doesn't tire out anyone. There's never any pressure on the Queensland wingers. You you know, if there's uh, if the point is to get them uh, ready uh, ready for a, a big uh, big tackle wouldn't you be equally <laughs> right in just putting a grubber in and and also running in and you know like to me it makes no sense mm. so i think it's just to me it's a it's a danger if we pursue that tactic however he also did a couple of amazing things he did a 40 20 out of nowhere where he kind of looked like he was wrong footing himself uh mm. looked like he was shaping to go right and kicked left and yeah. from behind the 40 it was easily inside the 20 so you know, things like that, he did really, really well. Um, Queensland, though, they still, you know, they still had a good kicking game, though. So in comparison, 
they they did their best. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, it's all about the team as a whole did their job. The forwards did what they needed to do. The backs did what they needed to do. Um, and and the support that they gave each other. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the energy of, you know, Tedesco as a new, you know, debuting captain. Um, yeah. And Clint Gutherson. I mean, there was an yeah. example I saw where I think Addo Carr did something on one side and Clint Gutherson ran from his opposite side of the field to uh, congratulate Josh Addo Carr and high-five him and, and pump him up. And, look, Clint Gutherson's, you know, say what you will about the the – he is still a little bit of a defensive liability and so I guess is, uh, is uh, Jack Whiten in the centres because I think both of them, they sort of still need to have that uh, communication going with their inside, uh, you know, Cody Walker, I guess, on one side and Cleary on the other side. Um, but, look – he is Clint Gutherson is definitely showing some promise as a, a bit of a leader. You know, he's he pumps everyone up and yeah, uh, I would agree with that too. Yeah, so look, yeah. good positive signs all around for New South Wales, and I guess we'll get into a little bit later what that means uh, for Game Three and what our predictions might be. But Tish, before we move on to tackle two, do you want to? Is there any final thoughts on uh, on as we review Game Two? Oh, look, in terms of the game itself, probably not. Uh, I think we probably uh, said everything. There was you talked about that energy and the camaraderie that New South Wales had. I did. I did notice that with the um, actually when New South Wales scored a couple of tries, you actually saw the ball boys coming over and joining in the uh, celebrations for the try. <laughs> and that was actually um, Zach, Zach, uh, Zach Lomax. Yeah, I saw that as well. <laughs> Zach Lomax and and, um, <laughs> and uh, oh, I forgot the other guy's name. Uh, Nick Kotrick, who was actually in last year's. Uh, think, yeah, so so that were, they, were, they were the honorary ball boys. And they were, yeah, but they, they seemed to join in in all the celebrations, which was pretty, pretty hilarious. And um, <laughs> I, I found it interesting. I mean, fair enough. Um, there was a, there was a, two kids out there that probably – were promised to be ball boys and uh, didn't get their opportunity, um, but uh, yeah, but let let <laughs> but it was because on the other side the Queenslanders had had two young kids, so I was I was kind of a bit shocked. But no, it was no, one of them was Anna Langer. It wasn't there wasn't a kid. <laughs> okay, that's yeah, right. get confused. That was Anna Langer. <laughs> okay, that's right. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it was good. So look, I I think uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, game two, it's it's done and dusted. New South Wales, and now it sets up a great uh, great game three. All right, so let's move to tackle number two. Here we go. All right, tackle number two is about the uh, the the big two that that uh, fought it out. Payne versus Tino. Mm. Tish, what was going on with that little stink there? In uh, I think it was in the sixtieth minute or so. What was going on? Yeah, well, look, very look. This is kind of one of the to- big talking points coming out of game t- uh, game two is the uh, alleged rivalry. Now, the word is alleged between t- uh, Big Tino, can't pronounce his surname, Malawi, uh, and Payne Haas. Um, now, the other thing is, so they were both players after the incident. The initial incident actually didn't involve them. I think Nathan Brown and Jake Friend were sort of, uh, you know, the, I think there was a, a slap here or there. It wasn't, um, you know, it looked, uh, it looked a bit aggressive, to be fair. And then all the players jumped in, and then these two were probably the most, uh, you know, they were the, probably the most, uh, you know, sort of passionate when it came to the to the scuffle. There was a lot of pushing and shoving, and I don't know if they actually blew uh, threw any punches, but 
I, I know that Payne Huss's uh, jersey was completely ripped off. So there was there was obviously something that did happen between the two, and there was a war of words, and you know it was kind of very interesting. So both players got ten minutes in the bin. So and during the commentary, I think it was uh, Billy Slatter. He did actually mention that both these players um, they've they've played with each other since they were sixteen years old. You know they they know each other very well, and um, you know they they, they sort of um, you know they, they've kind of um, had this uh, you know they were kind of both in the Brisbane system before. You know, Tina went down to uh, Melbourne. Uh, however, uh, Payne Haas has actually came out and said that that is that is just uh, that is actually ridiculous. None of that actually is the case. So basically, he's actually twenty four hours later after the the whole thing, he's started a, a, a sparring feud against Big Tino, uh, basically accusing Tino of riding his coattails when he was at Brisbane. Um, Payne actually mentioned that they've never actually played with each other and uh, instead what it was is that, you know, Payne's a year older than him and, um, basic, you know, basically that's why these two had never actually uh, crossed paths um, because, you know, uh, you know, Tino first came in up against Payne 12 months earlier and, you know, that was basically it then. And then, and then you know, the year that they were to play against each other, Tino had actually gone to, uh, to Melbourne. So they never actually played in the same team and, um, you know, apparently I think it was Tino's manager came out and said that they're really good friends. Payne saying that that was never the case. And apparently he was really upset about, like, that whole thing. And that's what kind of uh, started, um, you know, sort of the feud. Um, I know also on a unrelated sort of issue, Benny Elias did say that the play- players don't hate each other than what they did in their day. And maybe... <laughs> we need maybe more that, hate. We need more we hate. We need more hate. In, in a... Hate in a positive way, I think, is what Benny Elias was trying to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a thing that Benny Elias would say, and in exactly those words, hate exactly. in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But 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 a bit of criticism for this year's State of Origin series has been that the, it doesn't feel like State of Origin because you know the the players are all friends and the, and you know there's there's not that rivalry than than what there was you know in the uh, you know in previous years. Now, Dr. T, I've got to ask you, do you feel that the rivalry between New South Wales and Queensland has sort of uh, dissipated this year? Do you feel like, uh, you know, it's not, you know, the rivalries were back in, better back in the day or are we blinded by nostalgia here? No, I think it, look, it's definitely different this year. Um, probably it's COVID related. I think maybe yeah. maybe uh, the people have just got other things on their mind and they're not sort of, looking to sort of uh, as because there's so many dramas in real life you're not you're not looking to sort of invent a bo- a, yeah. bo- a bogeyman on the opposite team you know like a Wally Lewis or whatever um, there's look there's plenty there's plenty of reasons to hate certain players and and get annoyed but I mean I, t- I said this was gonna happen that as soon as players hated players like Cameron Smith retired um, you, you're going to struggle to get, <laughs> like, sim, especially from a New South Wales point of view, a Queensland player that you really dislike that much. I mean, one player that is in contention for that is Daly Cherry Evans, um, oh, yes. but I don't, I don't, can't really hate. He seem, I don't know. He seems like a nice guy. I can't really hate him. Like, I don't think mm. people do have it in them to hate someone. Uh, you know, like him, but it, especially because you know he's not—I don't know—he he just doesn't give give off that impression that he's a dirty player. 
I think he's just a hard-nosed player. He just tries to get out there. He's a bit in the Desi Hazler mould in a way. Uh, yeah. And you can't really hate Desi Hasler. I mean, you can be annoyed with him. He's annoying if you're in an opposition player. Um, but I do. But there is definitely, um, and there, and there's definitely less niggle from the Queensland side compared to what they used to be. You know, I remember many times mm. Jonathan Thurston slapping players in the head <laughs> just to get a reaction from them uh, when yeah. he had just tackled them, and they did react. And that's the. You know, you you don't have too many players like that 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 do that anymore. Uh, having said that, on our side, on New South Wales' side, we have uh, um, well, you know, Josh Edokar. I saw a couple of times when he tackled players in goal, he just decided to put the forearms forearm straight to their head. Now, I don't know how that was missed because he did it several times, <laughs> and it's it's pretty obvious that he did it. Um, so I wonder whether they they were kind of not not policing that that much, uh, letting yeah. it go. It's the usual origin rule of just relax and turn the, mm. uh, turn the other cheek and turn a blind eye, as you say. You know, the bl- the bunker as well didn't really notice on those things. So, yeah, look, I think overall maybe there is something about, you know, when we see a, a pretty mild punch-up, um, it becomes massive news. Now, the thing that gets me, Tish, just to kind of dovetail a little bit, is the, the in the – well, I, I don't know if uh, it happened afterwards, but in the commentary, definitely there was some concern around this uh, punch-up and what it means and, you know, and I was thinking, hang on a minute, like these are the same people who applaud when there's Biff in the past from Mark Geyer and, you know, all those – those classic kind of imagery of, of the Biff. But yet these two blokes do it and all of a sudden it's it's calling it, it's undermining democracy, you know, all of a sudden, the end of the world. And I'm just thinking, what are you guys on about? Like the media is so inconsistent about this. Um, it's just two blokes. Yeah, one might be t- telling a fib about whether whether he partnered with this guy and, you know, maybe they're mates and, I don't know what story Tino's up to, but the point is, yeah, it it was a bit of a punch up. There's obviously some bad blood there. Bring mm. it, bring it on. It's all good. Yeah. There's nothing wrong yeah. with it. And the thing is, as long as it doesn't get too, the game doesn't get too much caught up in that, and it's uh, and we actually get to see some good footy played. I think that's all we want to see. I mean, the the thing is, if Wally Lewis had been a dirty player but couldn't back it up with his skills and his ability to always pull them out of uh, out of defeat's jaws, then you, you you would sort of get really annoyed at Wally Lewis. But because he was also, you know, talented, <laughs> you know, you know, you, you kind of admired it a little bit. Like you got really – you hated him as a New South Welshman, but at the same time you, you admired him. And that's the kind of thing that w- it will be great to get back to where where mm-hmm. we, you know, we don't just hate players because they're dirty, but we hate them because we respect them. And we, you know, we don't want them to be on the other side, you know. And that's, uh, I think that's kind of missing at the moment. But um, by the same token, maybe it's got a lot to do with the professionalism of the game. I mean, players don't bring that emotion any anymore, pretty much, mm-hmm. unless unless it's things like this. And and you'll notice that the two players who have fought are not, um, you know, have a an ethnic background. You know, they're not necessarily. Uh, I don't know if Payne House is, is Islander as well as Tino is. So Pacific Islander, I mean. So 
maybe that's the thing. Like, why do you think in the last few years the likes of Tonga and Samoa have reignited and Fiji have reignited mm-hmm. the international scene? It's because they bring that passion. Uh, and maybe yeah. that's that's what's uh, – if we're talking about what's missing, well, maybe it's transferred to the international arena more, and, and that's probably a good thing. So, anyway, those are my thoughts. What about you? Yeah, look, I, I think I think in many ways you are right about with that international transfer experience. I think I think it comes down to um, how we've defined where you're from, <laughs> from a New South Wales and Queensland point of view, right? I mean, look, Xavier Coates, he is uh, you know he's got a fantastic try, um, but even in the commentary they bring up the fact that he's actually born in Papua New Guinea, right? Mm. So. Uh, look, he, I do believe he grew up in Queensland, so he must feel like a Queensland. But we, we don't really have this thing like, you know, I'm from Queensland, you're from New South Wales. Like, you know, I'm from New South Wales, you're from Queensland, or vice versa, where it was a real big, a real big uh, emotional thing to be one or the other, right? Um, it's, you know, that kind of state of origin with the origin emphasis has kind of gone away a little bit mm. just with the way they've sort of. Um, Conveniently been able to both both in both <laughs> sides of the border. Conveniently been able to 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 choose different players from different um you know uh, that that may have not been able to be eligible for. I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is maybe as us New South Wales supporters, we may not feel like you know the 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 grubs because um most of the grubs are playing for us, <laughs> right? <laughs> like yeah, like you know, like uh, there really too isn't too many players from Queensland that. You, you could sort of really hate that much, you know. You kind of think, you know, Cape, you know, Kurt Capel playing out of position, you know, you, you know, sort of they're all underdogs and all got great stories of how they even got selected, you know. Whereas, whereas in New South Wales at the moment, you, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, you got sort of players that have, you know, been, uh, yeah, slap slap on the wrist for like breaking pro COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, seem to, you know, all the all that they come from all the good clubs. You know the, the top three Delhi M players are, are from uh, New South Wales, sort of thing. So you you know, like when we're sort of, I suppose, that dominant throughout the season and now into this game, probably you don't feel like the you know the 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 closeness or the you know these are the best players out there playing against each other because of maybe the disparity there is between the two states at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Now, interesting. Back to Tino and and uh, you know and Payne Haas. I was going to say that probably out of the two players, like because Payne plays for uh, New South Wales, I know he gave away a few silly penalties. And I was probably more upset with him, right, for giving away those penalties than what I was with with Tino, you know, because obviously Tino is from the opposition. And Tino also gave away some silly penalties. So I could see some uh, Queenslanders also being a little upset with some of the silly penalties that some of these younger forwards are giving away on both sides. <laughs> which kind of makes it, uh, yeah, it kind of plays with your mind a little bit when these two go at it. Then uh, you know, uh, you just got annoyed at them for doing something silly, and now they're actually like punching each other, and you know, you kind of like, oh, what's going on? You know, kind of, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a bit weird. So, um, <laughs> but but I got to say, you know, oh, you know, they lied about you know us being friends or us playing together. I don't know if that's uh, like the cause of a major uh, major sort of rift, you know. Um, you know, maybe stealing somebody's girlfriend or something like that. You know, that's the kind of it's the kind of rivalry that we should be aiming for. I think in the NRL, yeah. Um, 
you know, something something that's got a bit more, you know, meaning to it. Do you know what I mean? He, he crushed my car when we were playing together or something like that, you know, like, uh, you know, or, you know, he owes me money for this or something. Like, but like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, we weren't really friends. That's all a lie. I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't know. Is, it, is, that, is that a reason to be completely upset with somebody? I, I'm not sure if that's the right sort of... Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I think we we need we need some. Uh, I think the rivalries have got to have a bigger stake too. I mean, Benny Elias and Steve Walters went at it because there's only one dummy half playing for Australia, and the consequence of who plays better is going to equal that. So maybe that's also it, it as well. You know, the Australian team doesn't get selected based on state of origin anymore, and um, and that certainly is a case when you've got uh, you know the the, the Australian coach. Uh, involved in the coaching for Queensland at the moment. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, yeah. The other, I mean, the other thing is, yeah, maybe we've gone all soft on our reasons for hating each other, but uh, let's not forget that Tommy Redonicus was famous for, uh, you know, he didn't need a reason. He just hated Queenslanders, <laughs> so he, he just wanted to encourage his, <laughs> you know, encourage his uh, players and and even when he when he was coaching, you know, get just get in there and just put on a biff, you know, call out cattle dog. You remember that? You know, that was yes. that kind of thing. So you didn't need a reason like, oh, that guy lied lied about. Nah, you're a Queenslander. That's it. Yeah. I'm getting you. I'm going to punch you in the, in the scrum. And look, well, I think Tommy uh, lives in Queensland now, doesn't he? So <laughs> Does he? He's, he's very conflicted, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But yeah. You know what? I just realized that this, you know, we don't, um, there was Bluey out there, and I think – we need to go back to cockroaches versus cane toads a little bit as well. You know, like um, <laughs> they're gonna go rid of that. But yeah, nice one. All right, well, let's move on to the next tackle. Tackle number three, and tackle number three is about possession, possession obsession. Tish, we have been fed this uh, diet of uh, it's all about possession and yeah. and safety first and whatever, risk free football. In state of origin, defense wins those big games. It's all about the mistakes, but that wasn't the case in game two. So, what what's happened? Are we bucking the trend, or is something wrong with the trend? Well, I, I just uh, yeah, look, Doctor T. If we have a look at you know, if you if you go and look at the stats, and you, and I think you've got to go back to just about every game in the NRL ever since these rule changes came about. It's pretty much who he who has possession of the ball majority of the time is the team that's going to win. And that is what the game has turned into a little bit. And I just wanted to... And it was really quite obvious in State of Origin Game 2 that um, you know, as soon as New South Wales had possession, you know, they'd get the six agains, they'd get the repeat sets, and over and over again, they could just keep on attacking. And there's no course apart from a one-on-one steal or a mistake from New South Wales, um, you know, that would hand possession over um, once they get close to the line and they could just keep on attacking. And look, uh, there were a couple of sets where I felt that Nathan actually got away, uh, like in the way a little bit, and I thought they should have just taken it out to Walker and to Desco and, and things like that, and that's when they would score. But I just think that um, the way that the NRL has now um, sort of been structured, it's all about possession now, and it seems to be the most important statistic, and if you could dominate position, that would be it. I'm just wondering if there should be better mechanisms within the game to be able to turn the ball over from the defensive team. You know, at the moment, they have the one-on-one steal. You know, back in the day, they were able to contest a little bit 
in the ruck with the, you know, being able to strike the ball. You can't even do that anymore. Um, so really, you just have to keep waiting for an error and holding him out. And that's all you could do. And then uh, uh, even though we've... And the six again has actually highlighted that part of the game to the point where once teams figure out how to defend against six agains, it's going to go back to the whole, you know, this the game's getting too boring again because, you know, one team has the ball and it's so hard for the opposition to actually get, grab the ball back. Should there be another way that, um, you know, should we reintroduce striking in the, uh, you know, striking at the play the ball or something like that to, so that teams could at least t- attempt to get the to get the ball back in a, in a fair way. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, look, what you're suggesting is that we need some sort of, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Some sort of a disruption. Yes. To the normal. To the flow. To the yeah. flow, yeah. It's too, it's too predictable is what you're saying. We need some unpredictability, some random factor. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, another thing we could do is uh, have uh, the balls – uh, you know, installed with a particular chip that uh, just at random times during the game, it just randomly deflates, like it blows up or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so that way, you know, you think you got it, and then oh, there you go. No, you, do, yeah, you yeah. think you got a forty twenty kick, but it just bounces really poorly. So, yeah. I like that. That's good. You like it? It's pretty good, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then I, I don't need you. They're talking about getting rid of the scrum, right? So. Uh, we're going to, I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, so maybe we could uh, use the deflated ball scenario or something like that. So. <laughs> good good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, 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 but what do you think, like, apart from the one-on-one, uh, Steel, do, do you think there should be something else that the defensive team can, can actually uh, utilize to try and get the ball back? Uh, look, I mean, there's, there's so many options. I mean, like, I think, I think one, one example might be, uh, you know, if, if you manage to, uh, like pull down your opponent's pants, then that, that <laughs> yes. just, they have to hand the ball to you. So that mm. way you've got, you've got to, you've got, you've got to control the ball, but you also got to control your pants. And I think yes. that would be good for some NRL players to do that anyway. That uh, would be. <laughs> so. that- that would be, and then coaches will have to defend against that with, um, you know, introducing belts. Um, <laughs> That's right. But you know, look for look for the Melbourne Storm and Craig Bellamy to find a way to turn that into a uh, a tactic, mm. you know, dodgy yep. tactic that gets them the advantage. But you know, typical. Uh, yeah. yeah, but look, I, I don't know what other what other ideas uh, could there be. I mean, that uh, you know. Who knows? There's plenty of other ones, but yeah, look, I, I think I think you're right. The problem is it's it's too predictable. And I mentioned earlier that one of the things that people say about Origin is that it is kind of a predict. It's by by its very nature because it is players at the highest level. Uh, you know, it's intense. There's a there's a history there. There's hatred and and skill level is very similar. Um, that that it is really about you know the mistakes that you make rather than the flair that you bring to it. Um, yes. And, and that's not always the case. I think that's a, that's one of those kind of myths that I think it will be good to bust those myths once in a while. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, 
yeah, look, there's plenty of other options as well. But, um, yeah, look, if unless there's any other ones, shall we move on to the next tackle? Yeah, let, let's just move right along. Move right along. All right. Tackle number four. Now, we we did our preview uh, – sorry, our review, but um, – we are going to talk about the player ratings. So obviously Cleary was the main, the man of the match, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, he put on uh, a really good performance, ably supported, I believe, by Cody Walker, who some believe should have got the man of the match. And then others still believe that James Tedesco put on the man of the match performance as, as a new captain. Uh, Tish, what were your thoughts on that? And, Look, overall, as you said, I don't think the player ratings for New South Wales showed anyone that played poorly. I did see in uh, one of the the media outlets who put their player ratings that uh, Clint Gutherson was quite low, which kind of bothered me a little bit because I think while he did uh, get beaten a few times by Capewell, who, who has, I have to say, has the most amazing fend in the game at the moment, because whoever whoever gets in his way is bound to uh, cop an, a palm to the neck, which is not a fun thing. But <laughs> they got to be careful. They got they're going to have to have neck braces like uh, Brent Tate used to have. Um, but look, yeah, what do you think about the player ratings? Um, do you agree with the man of the match? And I think, look, in my view, I think I'm I'm okay with Cleary being the man of the match. I thought Cody probably did a few more things. Uh, I think a lot of people point to Addo Carr as well. And the unsung heroes, I was mentioning before, but I'll say it again, that I think I think the unsung heroes of the Blues are the forwards who, uh, you know, you wouldn't have expected uh, to, to have taken them on, the, the Queenslanders, and did very well. So Angus Crichton is one of them, but let's not forget... You know, uh, Paulo, although he did well in game one, I think it was a good move to bring Payne Haas on because I think he's kind of more reliable in a way than Junior Paulo, who who was who did actually have a few handling errors when he came on as well. Um, mm. But the bench, Finucane and uh, Isaiah Yo, yeah, absolute blinders. They got quite a few yards yeah. up the middle. And again, this—it's it, like having two or three Josh Jacksons, you know. Or and you mentioned Tyson Frizzell as well. I mean, this is another player who, you know, he's just constantly performing at a higher level. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on the Blues ratings? Uh, do you agree with the winners, uh, the winner of the man of the match? And uh, was there any player that you think is a or any position that you think is a liability at the moment? Yeah, look, I think um, look uh, in terms of the man of the match performance when they when it was announced that it was going to be Cleary. I mean, as as much as it made sense, I was a little surprised by it. I thought just even just the way the commentators were talking about the game and um, uh, you know sort of the influential part of the game. I, I for me, I thought it was Tedesco. Um, just you know, it, it was his first uh, you know sort of game as captain. Um, which, you know, and he really did stand up to, to, to the leadership aspect of it. you got to remember, this is the first time he's actually been a captain of anything. Um, you know, he's not a captain of the Roosters, never was a captain for the Tigers. So it's kind of, um, it, it's interesting how he got the uh, New South Wales job ahead of other, uh, ahead of like, you know. Well, Captain um, Cook, we're waiting for Captain Cook, Damien. Yeah, well, we were waiting for Captain Cook. Yeah, and that, yeah that was interesting as well. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, you brought up Tyson Frizzell. He was probably another candidate um, for the the captaincy role just based on the amount of experience he, he has. 
So I think I think Tedesco was was probably my my sort of pick. But you know, if I'm going through the lineup, I think also then you've you know the next sort of player um, is obviously Cody Walker. But look, you know, you kind of made that point, and I think that point is is really uh, you know quite valid. I think that the you know the the real the real stars of the team was the Haases, the Saifidis, you know, Angus Crichton. I thought had, probably had his best game that I can remember that he's had for the Blues. Um, and even off the bench, they got really good value out of Isaiah, Nathan Brown, Paulo, and Finucane. Um I didn't quite catch the same areas that maybe you did for Paulo, but I think they all did their job. So I think, you know, I think overall it was a, it was a well-round performance. And yeah, look, I think with a player like Gutherson and and also um, with Jack White, and these players are playing out of position. They're playing in a, uh, a lesser role than what they have at club level. And then, so you really can't compare their, you know, what they contribute at a club level to what they're contributing in Origin. Um, and you know, when when Gutherson and Whiten both uh, injected themselves, I thought they they did everything positively right. So, you know, sometimes you you have too many cooks, even though there's only one cook in New, in New South Wales. But <laughs> right. you know, yeah, you probably have too many cooks. But I think overall, like at the end of the day, you know, when you sit down and think about it, well, Nathan. The, the key aspect to this game, which I thought, um, you know, if you think about his role, his role is to get New South Wales into the right positions so that the team, you know, so that the more flair-based players can actually um, can actually do it. And he w- did that role and he did it perfectly. So from that point of view, I do see why he was named man of the match, um, you know, and, uh, you know, he even took on the line, as you quite mentioned out, with his, you know, um, you know, with his stop-start, fast-slow approach. Um, I know, I know that that was something that he was practicing uh, quite hard this year, and he, and he got there. So, and uh, it, it was, it was very interesting that, um, you know, uh, you know, during the uh, during the week, they were talking about how um, Nathan has kind of felt that, you know, he's always been sort of the younger player in the New South Wales lineup. And he's kind of, um, you know, probably in game one, he didn't, um, you know, it's kind of the first game where he's playing that major role. He found it hard to find his voice. Um, he's kind of, uh, I think, the terminology people were saying. So Brad Fuller, he did actually, you know, uh, take him down this week, you know, got him into the corner and just, you know, just let him know that, you know, you know, he had a chance to turn the page over, you know. He uh, he, had, he had a chance to write what was right, you know. Um, you know, he was, you know, you know, he was trying to make ends meet, but uh, and he, you know, but before he gets, you know, a lot older, you know, and then, uh, you know, he he did TikTok with somebody's daughter, um, you know, and he's well, he he's somebody's son. We all know that, and uh, he just told him, you know, you're the voice, Nathan. You're the voice. Try and understand it. You're the voice, and I think he found his voice. Um, so, um, my candidate for who should be singing in the anthem next year, I think I've got to say, is uh, John Farnham. But yeah, but what what about uh, yeah? So I think I think I think Nathan did find his voice uh, for New South fair. Wales. Yeah, that's a fair call. Look, uh, let's move on because uh, we we've got let's preview game three because. Uh, a lot of what we've just said is relevant to Game 3 and where we're going next. So let's move on to tackle number 5, our preview of State of Origin Game 3. Here we go. All right. State of Origin 3 is going to be at home for the Queenslanders, Suncorp Stadium, in, next Wednesday. Uh, we will get... Uh, 
you know, it's the pressure's on. Um, if anything, uh, if last year is anything to go by in terms of the pattern of the series, we are going to have a close one, and we should not, um, we should not in any way underestimate Queensland and expect it to be a uh, walk in the park uh, like uh, like this one was in Game Two. But Tish, I have some questions uh, in terms of Game 3. So the thing, there are a few things we don't know yet, which is we're not sure yet whether Munster is, uh, will be fit to play next week. He was actually, he did uh, receive a concussion. That's why he was taken off for Game 2 after he fell awkwardly. Uh, and, and so that's going to be a big blow if Queensland don't have him back for Game 3. Um, but let's just assume that he will be back. Let's just assume you've got Munster and Cher- Cherry Evans there. Uh, possibly you've got Brimson back, possibly not. Uh, and not too many other significant changes that we're going to see in the lineups of both teams. Then we've got New South Wales that's now settled into a centre, uh, a halves pairing that seems to have produced the goods in the f- their first hit out together. Um, so there's some good signs. There could be beginner's luck. Who knows? Um, but there's some question marks I have, and I thought I'd raise this with you about New South Wales, which is we still uh, saw you know some difficulties in the centres who are playing out of position still. Um, you know, Adokar has done well for two games despite being out of position on his opposite wing. So I think it's fair to say that any question marks we had about Adokar playing in the opposite wing, I think he's, you know, I think he's pretty good, pretty safe where he is. I don't think they they got too many uh, breaks on that side of the field uh, with Adokar, but they did get some through Whiten and through Clint Gutherson. So I wanted to get your thoughts about... You know the blue centers pairing is that are they a liability and uh, do we have enough to cover for them? Yeah, good, good, good questions, and I think um, it's been highlighted quite tremendously. So uh, yeah, it is going to be difficult because look, we've seen the pattern probably in the last two years. You know, sort of, sort of follow this the similar sort of pattern where. You know, New South Wales have lost the first game, they win the second game handsomely, and they end up winning the third. I think the key differentiator this year, though, is that the third game is in Suncorp. They haven't won in Suncorp since 2017. It's obviously Queensland's home ground. They do go up another level, and at, like we saw them do in Adelaide. So if we get the Queensland team of Adelaide, I think it's going to be very, it's going to be a, a tough task for New South Wales to win. Quite honestly, um, now the loss of Monster is absolutely huge for Queensland. Um, you know, he's that creative player. You know, when you actually go back kind of look at both games, you, see, you sort of realise that, you know, Queensland can stay competitive, they can get into the right positions. They've got everything needed to, to sort of match New South Wales in most areas. But then when it comes to actually scoring a try, they've got some try scorers. You know, we, we saw that amazing uh, Xavier Coates try and uh, Valentine Hones is an absolute sensation uh, to scoring tries, particularly in, in, uh, in uh, you know, the Maroons jersey. On top of that, Dane Gago comes up in another level and he's got an amazing record of scoring tries as well in State of Origin. Um, so you've got try scorers there, but you've got to think who's going to be that player that's going to set up these plays to score the tries. And that's where I think Queensland have uh, really lost something with Munster. And um, you know, I think Cherry Evans can play that role a little bit, but you know, I'm not even too sure who they put in 
to try and uh, get more creativity around the halves to, to, to get the opportunities for their really great plays to score. So that's going to be kind of where that play, that, that uh, dilemma is for Queensland. Um, but you know what? Their heart and determination will sort of be on show. And I think that is a, probably the biggest factor that New South Wales has to watch out for. For New South Wales, um, yeah, I suppose, you know, the, the easy thing to do is just to play like they've played, um, pick the same lineup again. And I don't think Brad Fittler will make too many changes. But I do think that, um, you know, a more rejuvenated Queensland on their home turf, I think they've got the potential to to basically, um, you know, expose everything they can expose out of the centres. So I do think we do need to make a bit of a change there. Um, so I'm not too sure how you do it now, because obviously Walker had a great game at 5'8". So you can't move White into 5'8". Uh, and, you know, I, you know I, I, I'm with you when it comes to Gutherson. Um I think he's, he's had a fair opportunity. Um, Crichton had an injury, um, Stephen Crichton. So, you know, I think he was set to make his debut for, for New South Wales, but didn't. Um, and then, so you've got Zach Lomax there as well as, as a special centre as well. So one of those two can get a run. And then on top of all of that, you've got to think of a player like Ryan Peppenhausen, who was um, sensational in the grand final. In fact, man in the match in the grand final and can't get a start in uh, New South Wales. It's kind of a bit of a tragedy when it's the best taking on the best that we actually have one of the best, not even in the lineup, but you really can't replace Tedesco at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a good dilemma for, for Brad Fittler to have. Um, I would think that you would probably start off by having um, at least one specialist center in your bench. Um you, you know, I think there were four forwards on the bench, if I recall, with Isaiah Yo playing that role of the utility. I think if you got Yo in there, um, and you know, you sort of keep on with Nathan Brown, um, perhaps Paulo and um, Paulo and uh, and Fanukid, one of the two, because they've sort of got the same sort of role there, right? Um, uh, one of them could sort of give way to a special centre, maybe off the bench. They could come in and play either in the centres or in or, or in as fullback. Um, that's probably the what I could say if there are. But then you like okay. So with with the centres, uh, they're going to have an issue in defence if they're going to have an issue, right? It's not going to be because they drop the ball close to the line that you're going to um, put the hook onto the centre. So then the person that comes in and replaces that centre at centres. Has to be a pretty good defensive player, and uh, now if I'm really thinking about it, Crichton and Lomax, I don't know if they're renowned for their defense. I think they're more renowned for their attack. So really, what they're really missing is a defensive center if they have a defensive problem. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of stuck. So I think I think after everything that's happened, I think Brad Fittler kind of knows what to do. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he just goes with the same lineup and just ignores the deficiency and just sort of, you know, tries to make sure that they minimise the opportunities that Queensland have to exploit that. I'd say that that's probably what they're going to do. So, um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully I've made a lot of sense, a bit of sense there, Dr. T. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you did. Sorry about that. Um, look, I, I think I would have to agree with you. The, uh, like, I think Freddie will 
pretty much picked the same lineup. And I think one of the issues is, as you said, we've only just got forwards on the bench. And if we need a, if we have anything happened to Damien Cook or we need someone to play the hooking role, we've really got no one. So I think what we need is uh, that kind of a utility uh, forward that, that can kind of jump in there and, yeah. uh, and play that role. I don't know who else we've got that can do that looking at the lineup that we that we had uh so that that's a bit of a danger there so i think we'd need to look at uh bringing someone in who can cover that role um perhaps Pippenhausen, that's that's probably the main guy that i think can play hooker as well as fullback right so well can he really i mean that's uh yeah i'm not sure i mean if he can that's awesome and he's got some speed on him so look mm. he just needs to be Which was what cook has we, exactly. He just needs to know the basics, which is pick up the ball and if you see an opportunity, run. You know, sprint forward. Uh, yeah. And I think I think that's possible. You know, because I think the where they got the most momentum was just that one up running. And as as much as that looks like, you know, in terms of the stats, it's not much uh, passing of the ball or offloads. But it is actually effective in getting you momentum that you can then take advantage of as long as the six and the seven know what they're doing, which they did this time, which is great. Um, so to me, that, that's a deficiency. The centres, again, I don't know what the options are. I think uh, it's a case of, you know, having the class of Gutherson and Whiten in the same team and making sure that you cover for them in defence and that they learn you know, what they can, uh, you know, to cover for any other deficiencies in defence and their lack of knowledge or position play. Um, in saying that, they haven't done anything stupid in terms of they're not rushing out of the line necessarily. In fact, if anyone's rushing out of the line, it's Josh Adokar. Um, you know, he's done that a few times, Which and even Daniel Tupo, actually, the reason why Xavier Coates scored that first try was because he, he went in when he didn't need to because he probably felt like he needed to cover for Whiten and Cody Walker on the inside. And so that's another example of, you know, players just getting to know each other. So I think minimum disruption is what Freddie should go for. Um, but when you look at the other side, I mean, the fact that I've talked about the deficiencies, I think, in the centres and only in the sense that they're, they're out of position, not necessarily that they're not able to cope. But, you know, Kurt Capel a couple of times got past Clint Gutherson again, in this game. And again, it's because of his amazing fend. But having said that, he's also playing out of position. He's usually a second <laughs> rower and he was being brought in as a, def- as a stopgap measure. Um, and he was easily beaten several times actually by quite a few players. So he is a bit of a liability there. So I think the key thing here is that Freddie recognized what the, the weaknesses were in the opposite team and got his players to exploit them, uh, which is exactly what you do. You're never going to have a perfect side, but if you if you want to opt for a risky kind of thing where you bring the best players, even if they're a bit out of position, but you can cover for them somehow, then I think you do it. And that's uh, it's not ideal, but I think uh, it's it's an option that some coaches take. And uh, uh, so yeah, I think he'll do the same thing again. But I think. The thing to consider is that uh, in the Queensland side, you've got to play what's in front of you. And I wonder if part of the reason why we saw uh, the overlap a couple of times that led to very easy blues tries from scrums uh, has a lot to do with potentially Valentine Holmes being 
a bit back in an unfamiliar, well, a familiar position, but he's a bit out of practice in terms of yeah. positioning. Because I think the fullback is what is who they needed over the, to kind of roam around and cover the gaps. Mm. And I wonder whether that's what Billy Slater was alluding to in the uh, in the commentary. So, look, my prediction is that New South Wales will win and win easily. Um, and they probably should have won easily in game one as well. But for some reason, they just didn't get their connections going properly. But I think Freddie's worked wonders in game two. He knows now that this formula can work. They just got to get out there and play the same sort of football. And I think they'll uh, easily take care of this Queensland lineup. Uh, final thoughts. What are your predictions for game three? Well, look, for game three, um, yeah, look, I think it's going to be. I think out of hell, I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, mm. And I think you could go either way, um, like it did last year. I, th- I just think that um, uh, I don't know how. Uh, there's a lot of debutants in New South Wales as well. Like let's, they're, they're sort of this is their first series, yeah. As well, um, so I don't know how they're going to handle that pressure of of being on that stage. Where I think you know with Queensland, um, so so look when you add to that pressure, the game plan gets thrown out the window a little bit, which is kind of what happened in New South Wales in Game One. If that happens, I think I think Queensland are going to handle that situation better. So I'm going to tip New South Wales, but only by. Uh, maybe a one-point margin. I don't know if they go into golden point, but I think it's going to be that close um, because it's going to come down to who can handle the pressure. I think that's when, um, again, that's when the Cleary-Tedesco experience over, um, you know, over Cherry Evans and whoever they have at 5 is going to is going to dominate. Um, we don't know where Munster's going to be. I think I think Munster, Munster probably needs to be there if New South Wales is going to have a chance. But we've already seen Boyd um, sort of, uh, you know, because of concussion protocol, decide not to play. And I think for his health, he probably needs to do the same thing. So very, very interesting. But I'm going to tip uh, New South Wales in a, in, a, in a close one. All right. Well, we are up to tackle number six. And Tish, what's happening over in uh, Warrington in the UK? Yes. All right. Well, we'll move it away from... Uh, that of origin, just for just for the final part of this episode, I just wanted to um, bring your attention to some news that's happening with the Wollstone Rovers over in um, you know the north of England in in you know the Northern Rugby League. Um, they're not quite a Super League team yet. I think they're in the division below. But look, there's a warrant. Yeah, the Warrington-based community club, the Wollstone Rovers, have uh, have linked themselves up with the Greek Rugby League. Uh, team in a partnership uh, that will benefit both organisations. So the partnership will see uh, Greek domestic players given a chance to further their development at a higher level uh, than in uh, and in the you know traditional rugby league heartland, um, you know of, of the north of England. Greek players will be offered opportunities to gain coaching and qualifications experiences while they're at uh, Wollstone. Uh, Greek players will also you know, Greeks are actually going to play in the World Cup for the first time ever. I think it is. Um, next year in England. Now, there is talk that that um, competition with all the restrictions may not go ahead. Um, but, uh, you know, their squad needs to contain a minimum of these eight domestic players. Um, so having these domestic players go on to actually play in the north of England while still being eligible to play for Greece, I think is great. Uh, now, there is a connection previously to that with uh, Greek Rugby League. Um 
yeah, the Greek the connection is that the Greek national coach Steve George Arles of Wooden Spoon fame of the Bulldogs. Uh, well, actually, not quite Wooden Spoon fame. Um, he uh, actually played for the Wolves back in uh, the Super League in two thousand and one. And, mm. uh, yeah, so so they've got that thing. And, uh, you know, the Greek Rugby League have said that we now have eight active team, uh, men's teams playing in Greece, plus they're in the process of building two more clubs and, uh, you know, increasing their play pool. Plus, I've got to say that with Greece, they they have – there's been quite a, quite a number of Greek, um, you know, descent players that probably have eligibility in the NRL to actually play for Greece. So um, could Greece be a uh, – Another powerhouse, you know, a bit like the Italian team, I suppose. The Italian team, um, you know, have got local Italian players, but they've also got some uh, some Greece, uh, you know, they've also got some, sorry, some, you know, uh, Italian players that play in the NRL, and, and also um, some of them are actually playing State of Origin right now. Some of them are even captaining State of Origin squads, but they've all played for, for Italy. And, um, you know, so I, I wonder if, if, if Greece can follow the same path I suppose the question I've got to ask you, Doctor T, is, um, you know, is it is it going to be Euros on the menu or is it going to be pasta? <laughs> well, you know, I think. Uh, look, I think it's they're called Wollstone Rovers. Uh, obviously, the Greeks love their lamb on a spit, um, and so I'm I'm just wondering whether whether they probably thought let's just go let's just build build a, uh, a partnership with this team because uh you know there's mutual benefits you give us what we'll give you the meat we'll give you a a, a euros that's it uh yeah. would you like to bully with that you know that kind of thing um or do you want satiki with it get satiki with it anyway um yeah look the uh it's a good thing this is an example of where uh you know thinking outside the box a little bit looking at pathways to help the other international teams develop where, especially in this current situation, it's, uh, you know, it will be good to kind of give, give players what they can to build up their skills and capabilities. And, and, uh, but yeah, well done, Wilson Rovers. I think it's a good thing that they've taken the initiative. Uh, my question is why does it require, <laughs> why do these things come from the bottom up rather than from the organizing body who should actually organise these partnerships with uh, with all, with other countries and et cetera, et cetera. So that's my concern is that there's always um, these great stories coming out from around the world, but then we shoot ourselves in the foot as a game by not taking advantage of it, not structuring it properly and relying on people to, you know, the innovative entrepreneurs in different clubs to do these sort of things when the organising body has nothing to <laughs> has done nothing to support them, so, um, but yeah, that that that's a it's a concern, but it's something that I I must say it is good that they're getting that they've established this partnership. It can only be beneficial to both teams and ultimately to the international rugby league as well. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think um, you know, at the moment the Super League are looking for their twelfth team for next year. Um, you know, what's there's nothing stopping them from from having a, a Greek a Greek team in there, and why not? You know, like you know, um, the, I, I don't mm. think the I mean um, they don't have to play all their games in Greece, but at least at least it will give that pathway uh, at a stronger point. And I think that's yeah. what, where you're sort of saying that you know, and I think these type of um, you know exchange programs are going to be ideal. This is why you're seeing so many Pacific Islander um, 
players now coming into the NRL because you know the NRL clubs see the market and see the you know the the raw natural ability and talent that there's out there in the Pacific nations and as a result go out there hunting for it and um, bring these players back and give them a pathway into into rugby league and you know that's that's I think I think if that could happen in Europe as well that's how the game will grow because um, essentially, um, you know, uh, you know, the the Greek audience is going to get excited, you know, when they have, uh, you know, sort of players from Greece from, you know, actually becoming superstars in in the comp, you know, um, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, Hercules Apollo, I don't know, like, maybe we could, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to, you know, trying to think of a great name, but like you know, somebody out there, you know, well, uh, you John is an easy John Steve. You know, there, there's there aren't that many, but it's good that you went for the uh, the ancient names. Um, you know, like 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 who who forget? Let's not forget that James Tedesco's real name is uh, is uh, is Augustus. Uh, you know. So let's let's big big up to Augustus Tedesco for uh, for now. Look, um, look, all jokes aside, I think uh, as I said, it's a really good initiative. I just wish that we kind of got our act together as an organising series of organising bodies and actually uh, did this at the highest level, so that we wouldn't rely on the uh, innovation and entrepreneurship of individual clubs, especially when they're not even at the top level. Um, that kind of concerns me a little bit, but it is good that they're doing that and taking the initiative. So well done to Wilson Rovers out there in uh, in Warrington, UK. All right, Tish, I think that wraps up our podcast. We've uh, we, we're definitely looking forward to an awesome game three next week. So by the time you guys hear the next episode, it will be our review of um, of game three. But look, Tish, over to you to wrap this up. Thank you very much. And uh, to everyone from me, enjoy your footy, enjoy the state of origin, and we'll see you on the flip side. Tish, over to you to wrap this up. Yes, well, like, yes, thank you, everyone, for listening to this show. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.